Turn in your Bibles uh, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I would like you to get out your pen and paper, something to take notes on. I think it's so much, uh, so much more retention when you will write something down. You'll take notes and remind yourself later of things that God is speaking to you even at this moment. And so it's really a good thing to do. All right, so Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the scriptures. Father, thank you so much for the entrance of your word gives light. Let illumination happen to us this morning as we share the scriptures, as we, as we give ourselves to you. Hearing your voice, would you help us to know what you're saying and know what you're doing? In Jesus' name, amen. Of course, you know we've been on this brand new series. We kicked it off last week, and it is on the book of Philippians in the New Testament. And uh, this is such a, a great opportunity to look through a book from the Apostle Paul written by him to a group of people that he loved and was so affectionate towards uh, in the city of Philippi and they were they were uh, new believers it was a it was a fledgling church uh, last week we talked about how in Acts 16 that was the, the the birth of that church the origins of that church and they had experienced great suffering together and so uh, these these this letter is very very personal it's personal with Paul, and he's writing to these people, and it's a great book that encourages us how to live with Christ's perspective. And I'm calling this series The Secret of Being Content. The Secret of Being Content, because I think the book of Philippians helps us to understand, even in our culture, no matter what's happening with us, no matter what's happening to us, we can be content. And so this scripture teaches us that. So let's read it. It says in verse 10 of chapter 4, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I think the secret that Paul is writing about here, the secret of contentment, is inside the book as you look through each chapter. As we share and study together, I think we're, we're finding clues of how God teaches us to be content no matter what. And I think the Apostle Paul is really giving us a perspective on life that I want you to embrace. Perspective. It's a powerful thing, isn't it? Everybody say the word together. Say perspective. Perspective. It is a, is a powerful idea. The Apostle Paul is hitting on it. If you go over in... And turn over to verse 6 in chapter 1. Go over to chapter 1, verse 6, and it, here's what it says. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began, everybody say began, er, that he who began a good work in you will perform it, will complete it, will finish it, will carry it on to completion 
until the day of Christ Jesus. This is a perspective of life. A perspective that God is going to work in your life. That he is going to walk you through the season that you're in. And he is going to complete what he started. This is an idea that if we'll embrace it, it is powerful to us. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we act in our family, in, the, in our community. It's such an important idea. And so we talked about this a bit, a bit last week. We spoke of how the enemy is a photographer, the enemy is a photographer. He wants to take a snapshot of your life and just say, this is it. This is all you got. There's nothing else. This is you. And he lies to you. He tells you that you're stuck right here. This is it. This is all you are. But God is more like a videographer. He's involved in the story. He's filming what's going on. He's involved in directing the story and the film. And he's engaged in producing it. He sees what's coming. He knows what's happening. And when we understand that, we live life differently. We live life differently. And all of us need to be challenged to live with a greater perspective of who God is. Finding God's perspective on our lives is something we don't do very well. We see it from our perspective. What the Apostle Paul wants to challenge us to do is to embrace his perspective. And I want to I study that in chapter 1. But before we get to that, I want you to take a little test, all right, uh, on your perspective. I, wanna, I want you to take a little test on what you see, all right? And so I want to show you a little video. Uh, you can put your Bibles down for a second. I want you to look up here, and I want you to see uh, this test. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? Go! The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? All right, now how many of you did not see the bear the first time? Wow, look at that. That is amazing. You people are not paying attention. In the same way, I think there's something to be said for us paying attention to what God is doing and gaining his perspective. We miss so much because we're just consumed in what we're doing. We're consumed in what we're trying to get accomplished. We're consumed with our job or we're consumed with our problems instead of gaining the perspective that God has of what's happening in our lives. If we can embrace that, if we could grab a hold of that, we will live differently. And so I want you to get your Bibles, get your pen out, and let's go for it. Here in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, let's begin. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously 
and fearlessly. Let's just stop there for a second. Most Bible scholars think that he was in a Roman jail, although it's not completely clear. Some of them think he is in an Ephesian jail in, in the city of Ephesus. But what Paul is saying here that his perspective on life, living in this prison, in these chains, has affected so many people that are living life around him. That it's encouraged, it's done two things. It's made it clear who he is and who God is throughout the whole palace guard. And it also is encouraging every believer to speak more courageously and more fearlessly. You and I have a problem. And it, the problem is not necessarily of our making. We live in a prosperous culture. The Apostle Paul is identifying something that is true all over the world even today, and that is where there is persecution, the fire of the Holy Spirit comes alive in the hearts of believers. Something happens. They are lit on fire. They do things that they, that, that they wouldn't normally or um, regularly do. They, they endure suffering. They have a view of it that is different than we have here in a prosperous culture. They embrace it somehow. They engage with it. It stimulates them. It motivates them. It gives them courage. So how do we fix this problem? We don't live in a culture like that. You know what you have to do? You have to simulate. You have to find a way to think like a person who lives in the underground church in China. You have to think like a person who lives in the Middle East, who if they give their lives to Christ are disowned by their family. And the only way you can do that is by living a life of prayer and fasting. You live a life of the scripture, you get the scripture in you, and you live in a community of people that encourage you every day. Even those of us who do that sometimes, we lose perspective of what we really need to live a life that is honorable to God. We get consumed in our own little discomforts and we call it suffering. That, my friends, is our challenge. To gain a new perspective, we're going to have to see ourselves differently. Look at what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, this has ha what, what's happened, me being in change, has turned out to be something that has encouraged the brothers to speak courageously and fearlessly. The Apostle Paul says here, what I thought was going to be very hard or very bad has now turned out to be very good. That's what he's saying. What he's really saying is, is that this situation where I'm in jail and I'm in chains has turned out to be something that God is using to accomplish his purpose. People are gaining more courage. People are speaking more fearlessly. And most of us have a difficult time embracing whatever situation we're in and believing at the moment. Everybody say, at the moment. At the moment that God is actually going to produce something really good. One of our favorite scriptures in the Christian culture is Romans 8.28. 
What does it say? And, in, and, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We like to quote it. Here's the problem. The truth is, whatever situation you're facing, whatever suffering you're engaged in, you can make it worse. You can actually make it worse. There's a responsibility that we have to take to embrace faith and belief that God is doing something, even when we don't see it. It's not too hard for God. I don't think there's any, I don't think we can make anything harder on God. <laughs> he retains all the power of the entire universe in the palm of his hand. I don't think you being foolish in the way that you deal with a situation is going to make it harder on him. It makes it harder on you. When you choose to respond poorly to your spouse, when you fight, when you choose to respond poorly to what's going on at work. It makes it harder on you, not better. God is interested in making everything that you're facing, no matter what it is, no matter if it's somebody else doing something to you, or if it's persecution, or if it's something that's just randomly happening to you because we live in a fallen world, God wants to take it and mold it and shape it and make something really good out of it. And if we could embrace that, we can handle suffering a little bit better. We can stop whining so much. This is the very nature of God to do these kinds of things. He uses the very difficulties and suffering of our lives and accomplishes his purpose. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And then we go on to this next passage here. He says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? Oh, what? I want you to underline that little phrase. But what? Does it matter? Somebody's trying to stir up trouble for you? What does that matter? Somebody's, somebody's creating difficulty for you? What does that matter if God's purpose is being accomplished? <clears throat> he's talking about some people, most likely, he's talking about some other believers who are jealous of him and his authority, his influence. Most likely, he's talking about some other people. He's probably not talking about Jewish people that are persecuting Christians. He's talking about probably other Christians who have kind of gotten absorbed. Can I just take a moment here and tell you that so many of our detractors, our critics, what they see are Christians with bad manners fighting among themselves, fighting over issues of theology or, or style. It's so foolish. Can I tell you, One Chapel, that we are not going to be a church that fights or gets consumed with what other people are doing. We're, we're going to love the body of Christ in our city and that means we're going to love people who don't believe exactly the same things that we do. Here's what happens. When the world sees that we're fighting over issues of the scripture 
And that's what spills out into the marketplace and the streets. They say to themselves, I, they, those people can't even get along. They don't even know what they believe. How, why should I ever join them? They don't even love each other. They'll never love me. Ooh, what did Jesus say? They will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Listen, we're going we're gonna to love the body of Christ, and we're going to believe the best, and we're going to serve those who are in this journey with us. We're going to support what's happening around the city, and I believe in the city church. It's so important for us to embrace that, because if we don't, other people, they, they're, they're put off by it. Secular people, uh, they, they don't, it doesn't make sense to them. So never get dragged down by petty jealousies or poor motives. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, focus on kingdom results. Somebody in your connect group was mean to you? <laughs> Don't make a big deal out of it. Somebody said something cruel to you? Somebody uh, did something and gossiped about you? Somebody, yeah, you might have to deal with it. You might have to go and talk to the person about it. But listen, don't freak out. Don't have bad manners. And don't, don't, get, don't get rude. Don't have j petty jealousies. Don't be worried about somebody getting opportunities that you don't. This is not what God's people are called to do. Here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you this idea, and I want you to get this. It takes the devil two moves to get you. It always takes the devil two moves to get you. The first move might be his move. Somebody says something to you. Your spouse is really mean to you and is cruel to you. Your, your wife says something so hurtful to you. Now, my wife never does that, but sometimes I say mean things to her. So that's the first move, right? It may be some other person, but the enemy wants to use it in your life to get you to take the second move because the second move is yours. The first move is his. The second move is yours. And if you choose to respond in a way that is scriptural, that is loving, that fixes it, that doesn't take up offense, that doesn't get bitter, if you refuse unforgiveness, you choose forgiveness, you choose love, you choose to respond a soft answer instead of an angry one, what happens? The devil can't get you. He hasn't got you. You've just broken the chains that he's trying to wrap around you. Remember that. That perspective will help you every single day in your job, in your marriage, with your kids, no matter what. It takes him two moves to get you, and he can't get you if you'll choose the right decision. Now, the problem is most of us don't choose the right decision because we're so focused. There's no way we can see the dancing bear of God's work. All we can, all we can be consumed in is counting how many passes. I want to challenge you. Broaden your view. Change your perspective. Let God see. Let, let yourself see what God sees in you. Trust that God sees something more than you. Trust that He's in charge and He's working. So here, let's read the rest of the passage here. Verse 17 says, The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. So what is the priority here? That Christ is preached. That's the priority. 
Tell me this. Can Christ be preached when you're stealing from the company? Can Christ be preached when you're yelling at your wife? Can Christ be preached when you're responding poorly to somebody who's done you wrong? This is what the Apostle Paul is saying, is he wants you to see everything from God's perspective and not yours. All right, so keep reading. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Wait a minute, you're in jail. How do you rejoice in jail? He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope. Oh, you should write those two words down. Expect and hope. Expect and hope. How do you get hope? You get God's perspective. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. Another big idea. I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. May I suggest to you that it is most likely a lot easier to die for Christ than to live for Him? Perspective is required in order for you to live for Him. Let's continue on. It says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He's like, this is, man, to live is Christ's desire and Christ's work in my life, but to die would be gain for me. That'd be awesome. He's ready to die. He says, if I am to go on living in this body, it will mean fruitful labor, <laughs> labor for me. So he says, this is difficult to choose. He says, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Wait a minute. Paul has a perspective that is different than many of ours. He sees that this life is full of fruitful labor, full of good things, no doubt about it, but there's something better coming. And when you can see that, when you can understand that, these difficulties don't seem so big. He says, but it is, for, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced by this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. I want you to think about this idea, this last phrase. Just underline that in your Bible. How many people when they come into contact with you, can have joy in Christ that is overflowing because of you? Is there anyone who has joy in their life because of you? This is what you and I are called to as Christians. The Apostle Paul's perspective here is about people. Let's, let's just identify a couple of things here, all right? Number one, perspective. We've already talked about it. Seeing our situation the way God does. Perspective. Seeing our situation the way God does. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. And listen, our perspective then begins to determine our priorities. Our perspective begins to determine our priorities. The Apostle Paul says, hey, 
I kind of want to go to heaven. But the priority is that Christ is preached. And the priori- since that is the priority, the priority for my life is that I stay here and help you. His perspective is determining his priorities. Same with us. It's a lot like last week when I talked about being on the football field on the gridiron, and how huge everybody looks, and how big the team is, versus being up in the Champions Club box, where you've got great seats, and you're looking down onto the field, and you can see the play developing. As you see the play develop, what happens? You know what play to run next. You see what's happening, because your perspective helps you decide what to do next. All of our priorities are determined by whether or not we have a spec- perspective of this right here, what's in front of us, or a giant perspective of what God is doing in the earth, and we're part of it. Are you guys tracking with me? You were all writing notes and looking down at your paper, which I was so amazed at. I mean, I was grateful for it, but it felt like you weren't listening to me. <laughs> but you were listening. All right. So number two, then, is priorities. Not, not only perspective, but priorities. Now, What are priorities? Putting God's desires above your own. Putting God's desires above your own. This is what the Apostle Paul does. He says, I really want to go home. But really, God's desires are what's important. You might think of it as, man, I really, I really want my wife to be nicer. And so I'm going to be mean to her until she's nicer. At work, they call it, the beatings will continue until morale improves. You, 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 you take the wrong approach. You don't have a good perspective. And so you, you're, you're, you're beating up your spouse. You're cruel. You don't get what God is doing. He's really working on you. He's really trying to help you turn the other cheek. He's really trying to help you carry the coat a second mile. He's really trying to work his will and his purpose in you. Putting God's desires above our own begins to accomplish God's purpose because as you make the right priorities, you begin to accomplish what God is trying to do in the earth. He's using you. He's he's working in you. Our purpose is accomplished by consistently making good decisions. The Apostle Paul is making good decisions. You know what he could have done? He could have sat in that jail cell and just said, oh, man, I don't even think... God's not even interested in me. This is, I can't believe I'm here. This is so stupid. I had plans to take the message all over. But now here I am sitting in this stupid jail cell. Just forget it. Just never. I, I, I'm, there's no reason for me to serve God anymore. He's, I mean, this is ridiculous. How can I accomplish anything in here? You see the problem? We go through the same thing. We blame him. When in reality, he's working to do something in you. He's working to do something in you. Your purpose can be wrecked if, you'll make, if you make poor decisions. Your purpose can be wrecked if you make poor decisions. You've got to make good decisions. You've got to see your life through God's perspective. Most of us are trapped by this idea. And the idea is we think that the season that we're in will never end. 
Whatever we're facing right now, that season, we think it's never going to end, and it's going to be this way forever. I just want you to see this. Go, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. It's all the way at the front of the Bible, first page. <laughs> all the way at the front of the Bible, first page. I want you to see this because this is important because this lie from the enemy will keep you from making the right choices. And it is a lie about seasons. Seasons. If you don't understand seasons in your life, you'll think the wrong way. Look what it says in verse 14, chapter 1. It says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. In the very fabric and foundation of creation are seasons. God made it like this. This is how he made the earth. This is how he created us. Everything is made to be a season. Think about it. Summer, fall, winter, spring. Remember this summer when it was 112? I remember thinking, is this ever going to end? And here we are. Here we are on a beautiful October morning rain, a sweet, cool 80 degrees. My Colorado friends would be appalled that I say that. But listen, listen, this is what we do. We think, well, it's, it's never going to end. It's just gonna, it's going to be forever. I, and here's what we do. Instead of realizing it's going to end, we think, this is not going to end, so I'm just going to do what I want. I'm just going to do what I want. I'm just going to self-medicate. I'm going to make myself feel better. And, and whatever that drug is, whatever that thing is, whether it's anger or whether it's uh, actual drugs, whether it's alcohol, whatever it is, whether it's sex, we fill ourselves with stuff that God doesn't have in mind for us. He doesn't have a plan for us with all that junk. It messes us up. It messes up his plan. It messes up his purpose. messes up your purpose. Refuse it. Reject it. Stay steady. Believe that the season's coming to end. Look at this. If you look at Ecclesiastes. Ooh, Ecclesiastes. That's a fun book to find. It's in the middle of the, of the Bible, right after Psalms. Psalms. Starts with a P. Psalms. It's right after Proverbs. That's what I meant. It's right after Proverbs. It is after Psalms, but it's right after Proverbs. Okay, so are you with me still? So Proverbs 3, verse 1 says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. And then it begins to list all the activities, all the different things that happen. The devil's plan for you is to convince you that there is no more next season. You can handle whatever you have to handle if you'll just look at life through seasons. 2 Corinthians 4.18, you know what it says? It says, for these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them. And then it says, so we fix our eyes, everybody say eyes, perspective. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Once again, 2 Corinthians 4.18. You can write that down if you're notes. You can look that up later. 2 Corinthians 4.18. 
This is a big deal. The Apostle Paul figured out seasons. He had hope. He had expectation. Something coming was different. Now look, if you understand seasons of life, then you know you can make it through difficulty. If you understand seasons of life, you can save money when you have it. <gasps> oh, see, it works the other way, too. It's not just about being in, in a bad position. It's about being in a good position. When you're having a good position, so many people. You, uh, you know the statistics on people who win the lottery? The, the majority of them, like crazy statistic, like 80, 90%, they end up being broke like five years later. It's because when, you, when things are good, when, things are, when, when you have money, you think it's always going to be this way. No, treat it as a season. Think about how God created the universe. Think about how he creates every day that we live in. Think of how he created our lives, and you'll understand he's preparing you for a next season. So when it's a blessing, when there's a blessing going on in your life, you prepare for the next season. You get ready for what's coming next when there might not be as much. See, Listen, it's God's revelation to you. If you understand there's a season that may be coming, I know, there's part of the body of Christ that says, no, there can never be a bad season. That would never happen to a Christian. (laughs) Well, that is the most pitiful thing I've ever heard because if that were true, the Apostle Paul wouldn't be sitting in jail. It's selective reading of the Scripture. Here's what it is. The season, if you understand there's a season coming, you don't freak out. It's just a season. You have hope. You become a good steward. Look at this. Faith is knowing this season won't last. Faith is knowing this season won't last. There's a better one coming. That he who began a good work in you will complete it. Stewardship is knowing that this season won't last. There's a need for preparing. Stewardship is knowing this season won't last. (laughs) When God looks at you and says, are you a good steward of what I've given you? Are you take care of the stuff that I've given you? This is the question. Stewardship is knowing that this season's not going to last and you're going to make sure you're prepared for what's coming. There's a need for preparing. If we don't have this view, then we get stuck. And let me tell you this. Every season has a purpose. Oh, you should write that down. Every season has a purpose. Summer, spring, winter, fall, planting, fertilizing, watering, harvesting, every season has the purpose that God ordained for it. And it's true in your life as well. Have faith not in the season, but in the season maker. So then the Apostle Paul gets down here. Go back to Philippians. We're almost done. Are you still with me? If you go back to Philippians, what you see when we finish chapter 1, verse 27, let's start there. He says, whatever happens, oh, that makes sense. Whatever happens, underline those two words. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then... Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. 
What he's challenging them to do as a group of believers is work together to make sure that the gospel is being proclaimed. One chapel, I want you to hear these words. We have to work together as one man contending for the gospel, the faith of Jesus Christ. We have to work at this. We have to encourage one another. We have to belong to one another. We have to share with one another at Connect Groups. We have to share with one another in the lobby here. We have to share worship together and vision in order for us to see the gospel go into this city. If we keep our own individualism, if we keep focused on our own thing, if we're not embracing what God's doing among us in a larger perspective, we don't get to be utilized. We don't find the purpose that God is trying to accomplish in us. Let's finish this little passage. He says, he says, I want you to stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Man, I wish that wasn't in the Bible. But here's the big message. Get God's perspective on suffering. Get God's perspective on what he's doing. He's doing something. Have faith. Believe it. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The third idea that I want you to get is purpose. Finding our reason for living. When you find your reason for living, when you settle into God's purpose, you get the right perspective, you get the right priorities, that reveals your purpose. And when you find your purpose, it is full of contentment. You find contentment. I'm doing what I was made to do. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm not talking about a talent. I'm not talking about enjoying yourself, uh, you know, on the boat. I'm talking about a much bigger perspective of God's purpose within you. And when you find that, that purpose, no matter what's happening in your job, in your marriage, with your family, you can find contentment because God is working in you. The greatest purpose we can have for our lives is knowing God and making him known. This is where satisfaction lies. Satisfaction lies here. Great, the greatest purpose that we have is knowing God and making him known. When we embrace that, when we see our lives through that prism, when we see our lives, when we see the dancing bear in our lives, as God making himself known through our actions. We don't, we, we, we kind of, we don't need to be consumed in what season is it. We don't have to identify what season it is. We know there's another one coming. We're going to ride this one out. We're going to be steady. We're going to be consistent. We're not worried about everything. We just keep moving. Summer ends and winter comes no matter what. You can't stop it. It's a law of the universe. And when you get that, you understand in this, that the season maker is working on your behalf and using this season to build you. So we need to embrace the seasons of our lives. Embrace the season of your life and trust that God is willing, working to move you into the next one. Embrace the seasons of your life and trust that God is working to move you into 
the next one. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want you to consider what the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you. It may have nothing to do with anything that I've actually said. He may just be speaking to you something that he's trying to work into your life. You might, as we've been listening to the scriptures and just reading and working through it, you might have recognized yourself in one of these scriptures or in one of the illustrations. You realize you've been too focused on everything that you want and not focused enough on God's perspective. You may be realizing that you've been full of yourself. You've been letting the devil get you because you've responded poorly and given him his second move. And today you want to repent of that. You want to you stop doing that. Some of you may be realizing, man, I, I've been living life on my own for a long time. I, I know God loves me, but I didn't know he had a purpose. I didn't realize he, he wanted to do something with me. And you're realizing it today and you want to give your life to Christ. You want to follow him. You want to engage with him and you want him to work his will. Some of you may be suffering today and you're just struggling and you need to see. You need to see what God is doing. If any of those things apply to you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I, I, I just want you to acknowledge before God and I want you to do it physically. I want you to lift your hand up in the air. If you feel like any of those things apply to you and this is your day, this is your moment to give your life to one more time to, con to commit yourself to Christ in a greater way, just raise your hand all over the room. Yep, I see you. Yep, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Anybody else? This is your moment, whether the first time or the first time in a long time. Just lift up your hand. Yep. This is so good. God, we choose, we choose to commit to you. We choose you above all else. We choose you above everything else in our lives. We choose to see things from your perspective and not our own. I tell you what, I want us to say these words together, and I want everybody all over the congregation, I want you to join me in praying this prayer. Let's pray this prayer together. Say it out strongly. Repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus forgive me for my failures my sins I choose you today forgive me for losing perspective for focusing on myself forgive me for hurting others I want to be a healer I want to love people I want to show them your love. So God, make me into a new person. Change me today. Transform me. I choose you. I choose your perspective. I receive it now. Father, I pray for every person who prayed this prayer, and I pray that you would seal it in their hearts. pray that you would seal it in their lives. Father, that you would walk with them, that this prayer would be the catalyst for the beginning of a new journey, a new way to see everything, a new way to see life. Father, I thank you for this. 
I thank you for this. In Jesus' name.